Como estas, mi gente? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our weekly Plática. My name is Paul Saldana. I'm a native East Austinite, born and raised, and I'm proud to be taking on this new role as the official political correspondent for Hot Pejano and serving as the host for our new program called Habla y Bota. Yes, I know you're probably saying I'm not interested in hearing about La Política, but trust me, I know that all of you will be able to relate to some of the issues that we want to discuss and share with you. Because at the end of the day, all of us are directly impacted by decisions made by our elected officials, whether it be on the local level, state level, national level. And of course, we can't talk about La Politica without talking about the latest chisme in the community. And for that part of the program, I'll be turning to my co-producers and my fellow chismosos, everyone's hot Tejano DJ, Mr. El Mero Mero, Chris Tejano Man Tristan. What's up, Chris? What's happening? Hello, hello. Uh, we're ready for another great episode here on Habla y Vota. All right, man. Good to see you. Thank you. And of course, too. our moral compass of the program, our hermanita, representing the next generation of Latina leaders, another native Austinite, and everyone's favorite Samaripa. It's the incomparable Lily Samaripa Science. Que pasa, Lily? Hello, everyone. How are y'all doing? It's a little chilly, right? right? <laughs> it's, it's a little chilly. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, before about my guests, we want to talk uh, today. We're going to talk about uh, and hopefully engage our listening audience in a conversation regarding Latino voting, uh, voter suppression, and what we all need to be prepared for uh, on March 1st, because election day is certainly coming up and helping us with this plática today. We're bringing in two very special guests that I have the honor and privilege of referring to and calling as calling my friends, good friends, the honorable state representative Eddie Rodriguez from house district 51. And now he's a candidate for congressional district 35. And of course we have Diana Limon Mercado, a local community and social justice advocate, another chingona representing the next generation of leaders and one of the thousands of Limones that were born and raised here in Austin, Texas. Uh, Diana is also a candidate for Travis County judge. So Lily, tell our listeners a little bit more about Representative Rodriguez and Diana Limon Mercado. Absolutely, super, super impressive and biased and incredible leadership. I mean, just wow. So first we have Representative Rodriguez. Eddie was born and raised in McAllen, where his mother worked in the office of a local middle school, and his father was a technician for the USDA. The first in his family to attend college, Eddie studied government at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, and then at the University of Texas at Austin, graduating in 1995. He earned his law degree from the UT School of Law in 2008. Eddie was first elected to the state legislature in 2002 as the representative for District 51, serving Central, East, and Southeast Austin and Travis County. Eddie's long progressive tenure in the Texas House began when he was 31 and generated many well-recognized achievements. His record is thick with bills and laws to stimulate economic development and job creation, defend public education and voting rights, solve hunger and food deserts, increase gun safety, protect the environment, and ensure that all Texans have access to quality, affordable health care. In 2021, Eddie led the Democratic effort to stop right-wing suppression by spending 40 days in Washington, D.C., advocating for voting rights while denying Republicans the quorum they needed to pass the most regressive law in generations. In 2019, Eddie led the fight to ensure the Central Texas Planned Parenthood Clinic on East 7th Street in Austin remain open to provide protect, reproductive 
health care to the community and repeatedly defended the right of women to make their own health decisions. Some of his proudest policy achievements include homestead preservation districts and affordable housing tool for cities, expanding the national school breakfast program to feed an additional 700,000 hungry Texas children and removing the cap on the number of dual credit courses high school students can take to prepare them for college and the trades. As policy chair for the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, MALC, Eddie played a key in Malk's fight against SB4, the racial profiling bill, and he represented Malk when the Texas redistricting lawsuit came before the U.S. Supreme Court in April 2018. He advocated both publicly and behind the scenes for the well-being of migrant children and their families during the separation crisis that began in 2018. He now leads Malk's policy committee formed to investigating the recent purging of Texas voter rolls and serves as a Malk watchdog on voter suppression by the state government. Eddie stays involved in his community as an advisor and volunteer for nonprofits and a mentor to young professionals who aspire to run for elected office. Awesome. Eddie is married with two children and lives in the heart of East Austin. In addition to the Texas legislature, he works as vice president of commercial development for Capstone Title. This is a 30 minute program, Lily. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's good. It's lot, all good. It's a lot to cover. You gotta, you gotta. That's right. Well, let's hear a little bit. Let's hear about our hermana Diana. Yes, yeah, so Diana Limon Mercado is the executive director of Planned Parenthood Texas Votes, the statewide advocacy and political arm of Planned Parenthood in Texas. She has been part of the Planned Parenthood family for over a decade and has dedicated her career to fighting for a Texas where every person has access to the full range of sexual and reproductive health care services. Diana has been a pioneer for reproductive health and rights in Texas, spreading an, a multi-year leadership program that has trained thousands of young advocates and future leaders of the reproductive rights movement, running campaigns that have reached more than 500,000 voters, and helping to build the organization to over 1 million supporters strong. Diana's close relationship with women's issues, health care, and racial equity comes from her personal experience as a mother, Latina, and communicate advocate. Diana has deep roots in the political shift in Texas and has worked closely with organizations at the forefront of the movement for change, including the Texas Criminal Justice Coalition, the Coalition of Texans with Disabilities, and Annie's List. She has served on numerous boards of directors and commissions for causes that work to advance race equity and gender equity, including the PPFA Latino Task Force, YWCA Greater Austin, the Austin Commission for Women, and the Austin ISD Equity Advisory Council. She was elected as a Travis County Democratic Party chair from 2018 to 2020 the first Hispanic person to do so and ran yeah. one of the most successful and inclusive coordinated campaigns in the county's party's history. Diana awesome. All right, very good. Well, thank you. Welcome, Rep and Diana. Thank you. And did we yes. say that Diana's a limon, one of the uh, one of the 3,000 limons I think that we have here in Austin, Travis County. Good, I, good to see you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We're, we're very fortunate to have both 
Representative Rodriguez Indiana stepping up once again to serve our communities as elected officials. Representative Rodriguez is now a candidate for Congressional District 35, which happens to be my hood, my district. And our hermana Diana is running for Travis County Clerk. So I think the topic that we've talked, um, that we've identified today, you guys are the perfect individuals and leaders in our community to help us have this conversation. But let me let me start with Diana. Tell us a little bit more about the seat that you're seeking and why. Yeah, um, so the Travis County Clerk um, is the office that is responsible for maintaining all of the county records. Um, so things like when you um, record your property deed, um, when you register a DBA for your business, um, when you apply for a marriage license. So they maintain all of that. Plus they also maintain the records for our courts, including our commissioner's court, as well as our county courts at law. Um, so they maintain the, count, the court case management system as well. And, um, and then the big job that I think most people have heard about this last couple months is they manage our elections as well. So that's everything like selecting polling places, um, making sure, sure that we have um, sufficient election workers on um, the hours that are going to the polling places are going to be open and generally just making sure the community has information about where to vote how to vote and that the process is smooth for everybody to participate in so um that's kind of the job in a nutshell assess what it sounds like it's a clerk so it records a lot of information and then in travis county they also manage our elections process and i really decided um to step up um and you know throw my name in the hat for this race because our previous county clerk um, just retired after 36 uh, long years in the office. She actually, wow. she did a really incredible job. She innovated on a lot of fronts like countywide voting centers um, with our elections machines here in Travis County that are both um, an electronic and a paper trail record for everybody's votes. Um, and also all the other stuff you haven't thought about in 35 years in Travis County, right? Like most people can get their marriage licenses right. and they don't have a problem getting their property deeds recorded and all that kind of stuff because it's been running smoothly the way government should be. It should be easy awesome. and uneventful. And we haven't thought about it in 35 years. <laughs> Really. <laughs> and so, um, one, I just like good government and good administration and want to make sure that the office continues to run smoothly so that all people in Travis County feel respected and welcomed in Travis County. And my background, I also have an MBA. I've been an executive as a nonprofit at a nonprofit. Um, I actually got my start in, start in our local courts here um, in our magistration courtroom and central booking. And so I had really already had sort of an interest in the administration of government. But this moment is like so critical for our democracy, the future of our democracy, our voting rights. And you all know all the issues we care about, whether it is fully funding our schools, um, fighting for our teachers and our kids, protecting our neighborhoods, making sure that people have access to health care. For me, I've been obviously fighting um, on the front for sexual reproductive health care and abortion access. Um, in Texas, we just cannot make any um, progress on those issues if our right to vote isn't protected. And we know that our opposition is coming hard after Travis County and Harris County yes. because Travis County and Harris County um, deliver the most votes for the statewide ticket on the Democratic front. And they've been doing the most in terms of voter accessibility and innovation around elections. And so now we are ground zero. And, um, you know, I just, I see a good fight and I got to jump in. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for stepping up. And, and that's a good segue to introduce our, our, have our next guest talk about himself. Rep, tell us a little bit more about the seek the seat that you're currently seeking and why. Sure. So I would I have to start by saying that Diana is by far the most qualified person for this job. And she's done a wonderful job. She did a wonderful job as the county uh, chair, Democratic Party chair, and she's going to do a great job. Um, 
filling those big shoes that Dana, Dana left. So I'm proud to support her. Um, well, obviously it's congressional district 35. It's so it'll be Congress. So it's basically a district that Lloyd Doggett had once represented. It's changed a little bit. There's about 300,000 people here in Travis County, 303,000 in Bear County, San Antonio. And then the rest of it's mainly in Hayes County, essentially Buda, part of Buda, part of Kyle, uh, the university, and then everything in San Marcos, east of I-35. Um, and then with a little sliver in Comal County. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's not, it's, it's, it's what Republicans do in, in, in uh, redistricting. It's not a, it's not a, it's a great district in the sense that I want to represent the people. The people are fantastic. I want to represent them, but the Republicans did no service to the people of Travis County and, and in Travis County here in, in in Austin, it's everything pretty much east of the highway in Travis County, with the exception of the Miller development. And Pflugerville is not quite in it, but it's pretty much everything else. So it's a very east Austin, east Travis County district. And as I traveled back and forth, you know, through Hayes County and San Antonio, these are very different communities. Austin and San Antonio are very different from each other. The same thing in Buda, Kyle, which are distinct in and of themselves as and San Marcos. There's a lot of history there. And, um, but there is some commonality, obviously, that people do care about, you know, living wages. They care about affordable housing because prices of everything are going up. They care about affordable health care. They care about the kitchen, you know, kitchen table issues that we care about as Latinos, right? You know, how are we, we going to get, uh, do better for our children? Uh, and so that's the common thread, but, but the communities as a whole, other things that they're, they're interested in and what they're concerned about in San Antonio, a lot of veterans type issues, military type, it's very different than it, right. in Austin. But, but I believe that I'm, I'm uh, suited to, to be able to represent them. I'll just say, you know, a little bit more in the background. Lily did a great job on that, you know, on the <laughs> introduction. Uh, but, you know, I come from working people in, in, the, in the valley, you know. Uh, my, my mom was first generation. You know, my dad was like eighth generation Tejano. Um, I was the first in my family to go to college. Um, not just my nuclear family, but my immediate family. Uh, my sister followed suit. And this is because my parents taught me what I'm sure all of our parents taught you all. Yeah is that, you know, that to believe in the American dream, the idea that you work hard, that you can do better than your, you know, the, your parents before you, and then that'll be a better life for the future. I think that dream is fading away. And that's a big reason why I'm running. I think, uh, I think the, the working class and the middle class are, are being, are, are being ignored by the Republicans. Um, I think they're, I know they are, they're chipping away at our fundamental rights, whether that's the freedom to vote or, or fair representation or a woman's right to make her own personal, um, health choices. And these are, these are the reasons why I'm running. And, you know, when I was in DC for 40 days, Lily was talking about away from my wife, my kids, my work, uh, friends, I, I was able to really see for the first time, understanding it in my head, but really see for the first time that all the things that I've progressive things that I've been fighting for in, in Austin here at the, the Capitol and, and the, the regressive and the conservative ultra conservative stuff I've been fighting against those, all of those things are won and lost at the national level. And, and that's when I first really started thinking about it. If there's an opportunity, I'll do it to represent, uh, you know, to represent people in DC. I didn't realize coming home for redistricting, coming back to Austin, I was going to be redistricting <laughs> that, that there would be the opportunity right away. But that's, right. that's what, what, what God, you know, put before me. And that's the, what I feel called to do right now. Um, and, and I'm just, uh, but just very hopeful to, to, to be able to represent the people and uh, I'm a progressive fighter that gets things done. And that's what I want to do in DC. Well, that sounds really good. And again, appreciate both of you all stepping up. Uh, so I want to engage our listening audience uh, and talk a little bit more about Latino voting in general. Uh, we've already referenced and talked just a little bit about voter suppression and then what we all need to be uh, prepared for on March 1st election day, because that's very 
important day. But I also want to put in perspective, uh, in Austin, Travis County, Latinos represent about 34% of the population. So that means we're 429,000 Latinos strong, which by the way, many of them uh, are either uh, have a last name uh, of Limon or Samaripa. I think that represents quite a large percentage of that Latino population. And their cousins. I was going to Chris and I are envious. Tristan and Saldana. Not too many of us, but there's, you know, we're here. So, but, but I want to talk a little bit about voter suppression because I don't know that everybody fully understands what we mean when we say voter suppression. So sadly, many members of our Latino and African-American communities communities are routinely the targets of, of what's called voter suppression. So voter suppression in U.S. history and politics is usually a measure or strategy whose purpose or practical effect is to reduce registering to vote or voting specifically targeting racial ethnic groups like Latinos and African-Americans and or members of the other political party. Uh, and so before we got started and, and started talking uh, uh, early this morning, I shared with both of you that several Latino community members, as an example, expressed concern and provided real examples of Latinos right here in Austin, Texas, that were being rejected or denied the opportunity to vote or subjected to having to resubmit documentation confirming their, their, their identity. And sadly, in most of those cases that I was referring to, there were, there were senior citizens and rep, you were alluded to the fact, and again, you, you've served uh, as a legislator for, for 20 years. Uh, yeah, you, you are all too familiar with uh, the voter suppression efforts and tactics by your colleagues at, at the state Capitol. And of course, as you, as you referenced, you, you helped to lead the efforts uh, of the Democratic Party to stop that right-wing suppression, uh, spending 40 days in, in, in D.C. But can, can you talk a little bit more about that so that people fully understand, you know, what the conversations are and how difficult it is and uh, unfortunately how this has become sort of um, a par uh, for the other side of the aisle to bring these issues forward? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about redistricting, obviously talking about my district. You know, you couple that with what they've done on on our limitations on our freedom to vote here. So basically, SB one, which is the reason why you know, fifty plus Democrats went to D.C. to try to try to stop it and encourage uh, Congress to to pass it. The House did, the Senate still hasn't. But uh, th- that law, SB one, what it's done is it's what was happening in Houston was I think very very good as as Deanna alluded to having drive through voting that really helped a lot of people in a time of a pandemic to, to, to vote. It was, it was more convenient, 24 hour voting, all of those things. Well, this bill that passed outlaws drive through voting. And it, this is a, it, it was, it was a huge success wow. uh, in Harris County. Um, it outlawed 24 hour voting um, as well. And then there was a thing last session, early in the session where uh, the, the secretary said was trying to, for lack of a better word, purge the voting rolls essentially. And the method that they were, that the secretary of state was using was through DPS. And actually there was hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people who were going to be removed from the, from the rolls that were legal citizens and were able were able to vote. And that was done. I can't, I can't imagine that not being done with some intentionality to it. Right. I just really believe that to be true. So this also, what the law did was it kind of codified that, put that in the law that, that you can compare voter registration rules from the counties to the DPS database every month to verify citizenship status. Now, I don't want to get too in the weeds with it, but I think it's important to understand every, every, so every couple times a year, a few times a year, you have people that are 
that are become citizens, that they're, yeah. they're here legally, they become citizens. This this law, but that every the, the the thing with every single month, try it's trying you, you're gonna you're gonna lose people on the voter voter rolls. Right. So between those times, they may not be you know able to vote yet, and then they might get lost and be lost for a long time. And I think yeah. that's the intent, if you ask me, of that law. Um, and so there's you have that uh, people getting removed uh, from the rolls. You also have intimidation. These Republicans right now, the, these Trump Republicans. They're they're not above intimidation. Right. Uh, we have poll workers that they're they're allowing uh, poll watchers, partisan poll watchers, and there's really very little that a uh, election judge can do to stop them from from intimidating. I mean, it has to be very blatant to do that. Wow. And I think the thing that really affects our community, Paul, uh, more than anything, is the voter assistance, the restricting voter assistance. Yeah, used to be you take your you take your abuela to to go vote, you take your your neighbor uh, next door who's a, a little bit older or maybe disabled yeah. needs some help. Mm-hmm. We really are right now in the, with this law. You're very restricted. You have to take an oath. You have to swear under the under under the um, penalty of perjury that you know you're only going to do all you're going to do is read the ballot form. And yeah, you know, sorry. if you're taking your family member out there, you know, it could be it could be that they they need your help interpreting uh, the ballot, Absolutely. and they don't need your help in other ways. Mm-hmm. And that was never an issue before, and it wasn't a problem before. Yeah. But that, to me, is among the other things. But I think that one is the one that attacks our community, the Latino community, more than any yeah. anything else. Um, so that's what uh, that's the outline of what this bill does, and what they're what they're trying to do is just make it so much harder for us. And I'll just I'll end with this because I want Deanna, I really want to hear Deanna's take on it. But there was a gentleman in in, in East Austin that I talked to. Uh, he's got a disability. He he did a vote by mail application that was rejected because now there's also some new things in the law that you have to provide additional information. Well, he didn't realize that. And now he's going to have to somehow get to the polls himself and, and, you know, he, he can drive, but it's a very difficult for him. And so, you know, that's a, a, a voter. He votes all the time in primaries and I, we, he may not be able to vote this time, but we're going to do you know our part to try to make sure he can. But that's another example, just trying to make it harder for people, uh, whether it's with disabilities or language, you know, issues or whatever to vote. And that's what that is the intent of this law, of this law. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I do, I do want to hear Deanna's perspective, but okay, Rasa, we need to hang tight. We've got to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Susanna Ledesma-Woody, and I'm running to be the next county commissioner of Precinct 4. I've seen firsthand the disparities and the inequalities in our community. When we were hit with a pandemic, the lack of hospitals and clinics negatively impacted our community, but we came together. When the winter storm blew through our area, leaving many without food, water, and electricity, we came together. The Southeast Austin community was and is still being left behind by our local government. There's no excuse for this in one of the most progressive counties in the state. Attention to these problems and coming up with solutions should be a priority and not just talking points during election season. I'm running because I'm tired of seeing our community suffer. I have the experience and I have the drive to fight for long neglected issues that face our community. As commissioner, I will be unwavering and fighting for the voices in our community that that have been marginalized. Vote Susanna Ledesma Woody for commissioner. This political ad was paid for by Susanna Ledesma Woody for commissioner campaign. Hot Tejano, the party station. Welcome back, everybody, to Able Bota. Today, we're joined by State Representative Eddie Rodriguez and Diana Limon Mercado talking about voter suppression and what our Latino community should be prepared for on 
uh, election day that's coming up on Tuesday, March 1st, election day. Uh, uh, Representative Rodriguez, right before we went to the break, was sharing his perspective. But I wanted to hear uh, Deanna's perspective because uh, we mentioned uh, in your very impressive bio that you were the first Latina chair of the Travis County Democratic Party, and now you're vying for the position to serve as our next Travis County clerk. So uh, tell us a little bit more about what, what you witnessed, what you've heard, and also your advocacy um, on these issues, because you're not new to to all these issues that we're talking about, uh, because unfortunately this continues to sort of be the lived experience of, of what Latinos and African-Americans okay. continue to face uh, when they yeah. go to the polls. So share with us your perspective, Deanna. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, honestly, when I think, when I like talk to somebody about voter suppression and so not everybody gets it. They're like, well, why some people, sorry, can y'all hear me? My internet was cutting off. Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay. Um, for, right, for people who vote on the time or have voted a number of times, right, it seems easy, right? You're comfortable doing it. You know where to go. You park, you show up, you got your driver's license, no problem. So it's oftentimes hard for a person who has a very normal voting experience to understand why it's hard for other people to just comply with something like voter ID. Right. But when you go back to the history of it, right, like all of this stems from strategies like um, literary literacy tests, right, was an example of voter suppression decades ago. We know what that was targeting, right? Um, Black and Latino people didn't have the same access to education and to reading education and weren't allowed to pursue their education as far. Obviously, Latinos were um, more Spanish speakers. Mm -hmm. And so a literacy test in English was going to disproportionately like keep them from voting. Um, Right. We had poll taxes for the same reason, right? People couldn't, didn't have disposable income the same way higher income people did to be able to afford to pay a poll tax um, to participate in the election. And so all of these things are extensions of that. And when you start to put it in that historical context for people, then they start to get it. These are the ways that the opposition argues are small ways um, that they're just trying to protect the ballot, right? Or make sure, keep, you know, the integrity of our democracy, that kind of stuff. And the truth is they're just trying to keep our people out of it. And it's hard whether, um, you know, right now our college students, the college IDs aren't an accepted form of ID for them to vote, um, but handgun licenses are. Right. So, <laughs> so repeat that again. So everybody, here. so if you have a college ID, that is not an acceptable form of ID. But if you have a license to carry a gun, you can use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. you can use that to vote. So exactly right. The opposition is trying to hear, like, hedge their bets on who their voters are and allow wow. their forms of ID wow. to be accessible at the polls. Right. Wow. Um, and so again, it's a thou- it's a death by a thousand paper cuts, right? They, they're able to cut a couple voters out here and a couple voters out there. And then they gerrymander the map a little bit. Right. And then they lock themselves into power for decades at a time. Um, and so that is why it is important for, every single person to vote and to not only vote, but to talk about voting that we're really building up a culture of civic engagement. It's just part of something that we do, whether, you know, you know, all the things, right. You maybe go get your um, health exam once Mm -hmm. a year, you uh, check on your neighbors, you mow your lawn, you um, right. All the normal things you do, you go to church every, um, you know, Sunday or on the major holidays, whatever, however you attend. (laughs) 
right. but right that we just make it into our normal behaviors and yeah. that our kids and our community and our families see it as a very normal part of our community engagement so that they feel comfortable. I didn't have the experience. So my grandparents um, were regular voters and my parents who were teen parents when they had me. So they weren't, my parents weren't even legally able to vote when they had me. Um, but like my grandparents never took me to vote with them. I knew that they voted and they were regular voters, but it wasn't yeah. something we talked about. And right. it wasn't something that like I went with them to the polls to do right, right. now, me in this position and having this experience, like I take my kids to vote with me all the time. We go Absolutely. to the polling places. They talk about voting. They know when it's voting seasons. They love the yard signs They, you know, they know we need to go knock on doors. Um, and so right their little friends talk about voting. Um, and right. It's just really important that we're building that into our conversations with our family and our friends. And that is a very normal part of how we engage in our community. And it's not an exceptional right. um, item that seems hard um, or intimidating for people. Yeah. Well, Lily shared with us, uh, I think it's in our, during our program last week, um, uh, she was helping her abuelita who's 98 years old and you were helping her. Mm-hmm. Guess with she her. has her mail-in ballot. Um, and, you know, one thing that we were talking about earlier is that she requested, or it wasn't her, I'm sorry, it was our neighbor. It was her neighbor that requested a mail-in ballot. And it. she got all the forms together and it was just unfortunate. They said that she received the letter the day after it had to be postmarked wow. and sent in. So now my dad is helping her, na- you know, his neighbor and their family trying to get to the nearest polling location. But yeah, my grandma, 98 years old, I've been very blessed in, in that aspect. And it's always been a part of my family on, on both sides. Yeah. And so, I want to bring the, the rep in because one of the other things that we that we also try and talk about um, during our program rep is how do we ensure that we make voter registration and more importantly, voting part of our cultural family traditions and Deanna sort of alluded to you know her upbringing and obviously now she's very politically active and her children but but tell us about your your personal experience growing up what was what was your experience like growing up with your family well I think and Deanna has an exceptional she comes from an exceptional family when it comes to participation obviously yeah but uh, you know from on my father's side voting was a very regular thing uh primaries and whatever uh on my mom's side of the family, who they're all from San Antonio, they weren't quite as, and they would vote in general elections, but they generally speaking, and they were Democrats, they just generally didn't quite, they didn't participate at the level that my family in, in McAllen did in the Valley. And I had some politiqueros, and y'all probably know what that is, in, in, in Star County, where my, my father's from. Chris may not know what that is, but we'll, we'll explain it to him later. So, <laughs> let, me just say, let me just say I had a, a, a deal who was kind of a, a political boss down there in Star right. County. I'll put it that way. So, that, so there was a lot more activity there in the, down, down there. I think Deanna has brought up the, the critical point that it's incumbent upon all of us, I mean, not just elected officials and candidates, right. but is getting that kind of getting that in our culture that that's just something that we have to do i mean it, it's and it's not like it's an easy thing i get that yeah. but um but i think and if i can just speak as a democrat i think that the democratic party should we should be doing better at doing that and the way that we need to do that is not just during election time where the party is engaged with and that's true for elected officials too by yeah. the way it's it's a year round it's year-round talking to the voters, Latino voters particularly, in particular, I should say. And then back home in the Valley, what the Republicans are doing right now, let me just tell you, because you know Trump did better than a lot of people expected down in the Valley. They're actually having, they're creating these community centers uh, in McAllen and other places. Like, oh, they have one there, and there's the one in McAllen now where they, 
where the conservative Latinos can get together. They can they would have church services in there or whatever, right. and just talk politics, conservative politics. They're kind of they're cultivating uh, yeah. voters. Oh no! And, and I think I know it's very scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, cultivating voters, and I think for too long, speaking as a proud Democrat, I think you know the party infrastructure at state level has, and probably nationally, has just taken for granted that yeah. Latinos are going to be voting for them all the time, Absolutely. and there are consequences to that. And I think you know, I think as an elected official, you know, it's incumbent upon me to to be, talk to and engage with voters all the time. But I, and I, but I do think Diana is, is, is spot on. It's not a simple answer, but we really need to get back to that. You know, there's a reason why my dad's generation, they vote. It was, it was just part of it. It was part yeah. of their DNA. Yeah. And, and I think subsequent generations just, it's just been going down, down. Absolutely. Down. Yeah. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. I think it's about not being afraid to talk about politics and why yeah. it's important. And yeah. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah, which is why we, we're excited to, to have this um, program that we're doing now on Sundays to talk about these other things. And in a minute, I'll have, I want Lily to share a little bit more about our Abla Ibota Action Fund. Lily, I'm sorry, I interrupted. You were going to say something. Um, no, well, I mean, first off, I just, I love the conversation that, that we are having because one thing, you know, I am... I've been very lucky that I've never had an issue when I went to the polls that my information matched up. Um, they might've taken, you know, an extra minute or two to, to locate me in the system, but I've had the same address my entire life, you know? And, and so I've been very, very blessed, but just to hear, um, you know, about the problems that that people are are facing at the polls, it's, it's, really upsetting and I can't even imagine just having the deny to say like in private, you know, just this is who I want to represent me and, and just being denied that I, yeah. it, it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. All the more reason as we've been talking about um, throughout our conversation is again, real important for us to make voter registration and voting part of our cultural tradition, because we think about what our parents and grandparents went through. Uh, and we need to ensure that all of their advocacy in the fight for civil rights, for equity, diversity, inclusion, representation, all those things are not taken for granted. So it's incumbent mm-hmm. upon the next generation to ensure that we're um, leading by example with what our parents and, and grandparents experience. And Chris has a, a young son named Christopher, who's also very politically astute, has political aspirations. Chris, uh, talk a little bit more about your son, Chris. Yes, Christopher uh, just graduated from the University of uh, North Texas in uh, political right, science. Go Chris. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and he's doing very, very well. I believe, I don't know, remember the name of the company, but it's a, a Democratic uh, something or other here in, in, in East Austin. And um, he's been there for quite some time now, and, and he's now per- a permanent employee. Uh, but it has to do with voters and all that good stuff. So we're very, very proud of the stuff that he's been doing with that so far. Awesome. 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 Nice. So, uh, so you, for, for everybody who's listening to us, so uh, come election day, um, let's tell everybody what they need to have so they can have, obviously um, let's talk about the forms of ID that are acceptable. So sorry, Chris, that, that fake ID you have from the Pulga is not going to work, brother. It's got to be legit. It has to be DPS issued by hermano. That's right. That's right. That yeah. That, that fake one is not going to work, brother. So you can take your, your driver's license. What are some of the other form of IDs that you can take that are acceptable? I think it's just a state issued ID, you know, it could be driver's license or just an official ID. 
and I'm going to let Deanna take it away from there. There's several other things, but I want, I can talk too much sometimes. <laughs> Come on, here, tell us. Uh, driver's license, state issued ID. We talked about a handgun license. So if you have a con- concealed carry license, you can do that, but not a college ID. Um, a military ID card, um, passport also works. Um, and I think that basically covers it. Oh, citizen, citizenship certificate containing the person's photograph got is it, another one. It, so it has to be a state issued, um, or U.S. military ID citizenship passport, um, to qualify, but again, a, not a college ID. And I just wanted to make a point too, you know, when we talk about the state democratic party and vote by mail, like that yeah. is another example of how we got here. Because um, for years, actually, the state Democratic Party had been proactively sending out vote by mail ballots to people who were likely to be Democratic voters. And so the state party would handle basically what the state failed to do for us. They would send out the applications. They would follow up with chase and instructions. They would make sure people got their ballots. They would chase those down. And the Democrats had made so so much gains on the vote by mail that now the Republicans took that away. Yeah. But I, I think they've painted themselves into a corner. Right, like absolutely, they're, they're disproportionately impacting their voters too. Like, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And when you're talking about you know seniors, it's whether yeah. they're Democrats or Republicans, they're facing all these same challenges. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, uh, I think it's going to backfire a little bit on them, frankly, because I think people are used to the convenience of voting by mail. Um, absolutely, and and <laughs> seniors or Republicans the Democrats at the end said, I think, I think, I think this is what I've been dealing with, particularly the last, you know, three sessions or so as, as a Republican party gets further, further to the right. right. They just kind of, they overreact to anything that's happening. And they're so yeah. worried about the number that you mentioned here in, Tra- in Travis County, 34% Latino here, Paul, yep. Yep. the number, I mean, Texas is already a majority minority state. Oh, absolutely. For lack of a better way of saying yep. it, you know? Yep. Um, and so I think there's, I think they get worried about it. And like, you know, we were making gains. We picked up, you know, we we're close to, you know, 12 seat difference. Yep. We had opportunity, didn't work out, you know, two years ago, but they're, now they're, they're using a chainsaw, you know, instead of a scalpel to try to, you know, they just want to affect everybody. And yeah. it's going to, affect Republicans as well as Democrats. Yeah, I think they're they're intimidated. We've talked about it before how every 30 seconds a Latino turns 18 and becomes an eligible voter. Uh, so that's, you know, nationwide. That's 1 million new Latino voters. Most of their last names are going to be Samaripa and Limon, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, they're, they're citizens and they can vote. And so that means more votes for Diana, more votes for Representative Rodriguez. So we welcome yeah. bringing that on. So Lily, share everybody with the contact information if they have any problems or issues at the at the at the ballot box, there's a number that they can call. What's that number? Yes. So if you are having any issues, so we have the election protection hotline that is 866-R-VOTE, 866-687-8683. And if it's if you need um, it in Spanish, in Espanol, it's 888-VOTA, 888 y 8 Wow, your mom's going to be real impressed. I know she's coming. <laughs> listen, make sure I'm you on my way to becoming bilingual. Correctly. <laughs> and, and, and talking about what we can do, um, because obviously, you know, folks listening are not only here in Austin, Texas, but in other parts of the state and the nation. So, Lily, share everybody a little bit more about Abla Ibota Action Fund and what that organization is all about. Yeah, so we recently have kicked off our Obli Vota Action Fund. It is dedicated to supporting the next generation of Latina, Latino leaders, our candidates, and allies. 
Our initiatives really focus and include voter registration, voter education, candidate forums, endorsements, membership, fundraising, really any resources that you need to vote or if you need help in any way, please reach us. You can reach us at habla at gmail.com. Our membership forms are up. So if you're interested, please reach out to us at habla at gmail.com. We have different levels of memberships. Um, you can be a sustaining member, just an individual member. If you are a student, do not let that stop you. We have student memberships and we also have grant memberships yeah. because like we want campaign, this. We will sponsor you, hermano. No, no te preocupes. Yes. We'll you, <laughs> we want this to, we want everyone to have the resources that they, that as many resources as they can. Um, we have a Facebook page, Abla, um, and then also recently La Politica, which Diana Gomez is a part of. She is on our leadership team mm-hmm. or a leadership committee, and she's just so wonderful. Diana Gomez is from our leadership committee, and she is also with La Politica. And if you check them out on Facebook, they have a wonderful um, presentation of why the primary elections are so important and how you can do to pick your, your candidate. Thank so, you, Lily. Appreciate you yeah. sharing that with us. But before we uh, end our program today, I want to give both uh, Representative Eddie Rodriguez and Diana Limon Mercado a little bit, uh, a quick opportunity for us to, or for you all to share where people can get more information about your campaign and your candidacy. So Diana, let's start with you. Where can we find information about your campaign? Yeah, my website is votediana.com. That's Diana with a Y, V-O-T-E-D-Y-A-N-A.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and everywhere else also at Vote Diana. Diana with a Y. But D- Diana with an I goes to uh, a Republican candidate in another <laughs> state, so don't do that. <laughs> goes to another limon. <laughs> where can, we, where can uh, folks uh, get more information about your campaign and your uh, candidacy? My, web, my website is uh, www.eddieforTexas.com. It's E-D-D-I-E-F-O-R-T-E-X-A-F.com. You'll be able to learn a lot about what I've done the last 20 years and why I'm running for Congress and what I'd like to do when I get there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, okay, mi gente, gente, we're out of time, but thanks so much for tuning in. We want to thank our very special guest, State uh, state Representative Eddie Rodriguez and Diana Limon Mercado for joining us today. Don't forget, mi gente, election day is Tuesday, March 1st. And as Cesar Chavez reminds us, we don't need perfect political systems. We need perfect participation. So that means go vote Raza. And don't forget to join us here every Sunday morning at nine o'clock right here in Hot Tejano. We plan to bring additional Latino community leaders, candidates, panelists to discuss La Politica. Chisme, we didn't get to talk too much chisme today, but that's okay. We'll talk about it next time. And certainly about the importance of our voices and our votes right here on Habla y Platica. Thank you to my co-producers, Chris Tejano Man Tristan and our hermanita, Lily Samarita Science. And to quote my mama, Aite Wacho, we'll see you guys next <laughs> week. I'm going to send it back over to Chris. Chris.